If I'm not here to tell you, what if you were diagnosed with terminal cancer while raising a newborn baby? What if you thought your kid might have to grow up without you? What if you had to grow up without your mom? This is a series for my kid to make sure she is mothered by who I am, my experiences, and the lessons I've learned through my life and my work, whether I'm here with her in the flesh or not. Part biographical, part educational, this is a series on birth and life and death and finding freedom in diving headfirst into the ocean, rain or storm. I have a mom. My mom may not be here, but I have a mom. She loves me very much and lives on in the cells of my body and in my heart. She lives on in the memories of my mind, even if they are ones I cannot consciously remember. I have a mom. I know her patience and her love and her nurturing, her gentle hands, her carefully chosen words. I have a mom. I can talk to her anytime I want to, in my mind, in my dreams, anytime I need courage or confidence or a reminder that it's okay to cry, anytime I need inspiration or a reminder to value myself and my needs or to trust my own intuition. I have a mom. I can imagine a warm hug when I need one or an encouragement to take a leap towards adventure or meaning. She will always tell me it's okay to let my voice be heard, even if... Maybe especially if it's a voice of dissent, of speaking up for what's right, even if others would have me be quiet. She will remind me it's okay for me to set boundaries, even if that makes others uncomfortable. She will help me have compassion for others, even when it's hard to do. She will tell me I am wise and beautiful and courageous and capable. She says she saw it in my eyes from the moment I was born. When life gets hard, she will tell me, you can do hard things. She'll tell me not to take myself too seriously, to laugh with my whole heart, and to laugh often. I have a mom. Hi, Talia. Hi, Jessica. What a beautiful way to start this podcasting journey. Um, do you wanna do you wanna talk a little bit about um, maybe just introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about the impetus for this poem and for this podcast as well. Okay, um, so I'm Jessica Austin. I'm a birth doula and childbirth educator and a new mom of a baby who just turned a year old. Um, and when I was very early pregnant with her, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in very early postpartum, I was diagnosed with that cancer having spread leaving me with a very poor prognosis and a very short life expectancy. And I wrote that poem on our first family trip to see my grandparents on Vancouver Island. I was sitting in the back seat with Kedra and my, my partner was driving the car and the poem just came to me and I wrote it down in my iPhone um, as a way to make myself feel like I was going to be able to mother her even if I wasn't here. That's amazing. And can you say a little bit about um, why we're here and why we're doing this podcast and kind of how, how it came to be? Well, it has been almost, almost a year since being diagnosed with my cancer spreading. Um, 
And in that time, part of what I've been doing is both setting myself up for the possibility and the belief in myself that I'm capable of staying healthy and alive for longer than people expect me to (laughs) or the statistics say. Um, But also at the same time being pragmatic and not and not wanting to just push it aside and and not face the kind of statistical likelihood that I won't be here for as long as I think my kid deserves to have me. Um, So I've been spending a lot of time working on various projects to leave behind for her so she knows who I was and where she came from and knows the kind of my on life and how I want her to feel about herself and be raised and treated and walk through the world. Um, So I've been working on a variety of projects for that. And this podcast is a continuation of that. Um, I've got a little kid and I keep thinking I should write her a book and I still hope to do that someday. Um, But we, I don't know, there's just something that seems easier about having conversations with people that I love voices that I want her to hear and wisdom from my community, from people that I want her to hear and just hearing real conversations with me talking about my life and my work and the lessons that I've learned through my life. It just seems like a really kind of simple way to leave something really powerful behind for her um, that hopefully she won't need for a long time, but we'll have it if she does. Amazing. And yeah, I love, I love that this is a continuation of, of that work that you've already started and have been at for, um, for quite a while. And yeah, I, uh, I know that we've had some conversations about what, what this first episode should look like and what this first episode could look like. And we've had some brainstorming sessions and, um, I know we kind of landed on, um, kind of because because so much of your life's work is steeped in birth work and so much of your philosophy around life is informed by that work that we thought what better way or place to start than to talk about your own birth um yeah and what what that looked like so maybe you can you can tell tell us a little bit about about that story well, you know, growing up, I my mom didn't talk about her birth a ton, um, her giving birth to me a ton and my younger sister a ton. Um, but what she did say was never anything particularly inspiring. She had unmedicated vaginal births with both my sister and I, um, but it was in the early 80s and... Um, you know, kind of a time where there weren't a lot of obvious options available to people giving birth and not a lot of great support available. And I remember her describing it as the like worst and most painful and scariest experience of her life. Um, She talks about when she gave birth to my sister, she was in the birth process and she says she remembers thinking, how could I be so stupid to do this again? Like, (laughs) I knew what this was like. Like, how could I be so stupid? And I, one thing that stands out is the place she would always talk about this is she'd be in the bathtub. Oh, and I would sit. I would sit in the bathroom on the bathroom floor over the heat vent to be warm and ask her 
about her stretch marks on her belly that I love. She had these like beautiful or has these beautiful stretch marks on her belly underneath her belly button and I remember thinking her tummy was shaped like a heart and that she had these cool amazing stretch marks and it would kind of inspire me to ask her about about me being born um when I first started birth work I started to think that you know when I got into birth work everybody assumes that people who attend births do it because they love babies and that wasn't my agenda at all I got into birth work because I started to see like I really respect women and human rights and (laughs) I just saw something like really profoundly missing in the respect that was given to people when they were giving birth the more that I learned about it Um, and I remembered my mom when my mom gave birth to my sister she had a hysterectomy immediately after birth because when she was birthing the placenta the nurse pulled on the umbilical cord and dislodged her uterus and caused a big hemorrhage and she ended up having a hysterectomy on the spot when she was in her early 20s and the more I learned about birth the more I thought I started to think like maybe I'm doing this because I know my mom wasn't like somewhere deep down like I've always known my mom wasn't treated properly during her birth experiences Mm And so how, because I mean, I should, I should say that I know you and I know that your conception of birth is quite a positive one, um, to say the least. Um, (laughs) How did you kind of take those formative stories that you had heard that kind of painted birth in, you know, looking at it with a lot, maybe a lot of fear or a lot of pain or a really experience and take that to inform your work in a way that really transformed it for you in the way that you understand birth I think yeah you know it wasn't just my mom's stories either it's like growing up in a whole culture that talks about birth as being scary and painful and disgusting totally you know (laughs) um and I think I, when I went to, I didn't know anything about birth at all, even after spending four years in an undergraduate, like, biological sciences program where I learned lots about human physiology and biology, but very little about childbirth. And when I took my first doula training, I think just something clicked in my brain of you know, there's a whole different side to this that I've never been exposed to. And it, it just made sense that I needed to explore it more. And the more that I, the kind of science nerd in me explored and read research and read stories and gathered information, I realized there was this whole different approach to understanding the physiology of birth that really appealed to kind of my inner, like, you know, growing up watching the nature of things, biology minded, seeking, info seeking person that was like, yeah, like we're wild animals, like we're mammals. And why are we treating birth in a way that so many stories result in so many complications and so much pain and so much fear? And I just really, I just really started to have this kind of light bulb going off of like, 
there is something wrong here. Like, why don't I know anything about how my body works when it comes to birth? Why don't know what? Why don't I know anything about the like biology of childbirth? Why is it that all I know is these horror stories? Yeah. And can you can you remember, like how did you end up attending that first doula training in the first place? Like, what what drew you to that work, either consciously or subconsciously, the way that you're describing it? You know, I moved to Vancouver kind of post, you know, university traveling years and looking to find some direction in my life. And the only reason I moved here is because I wasn't quite, I'd spent a lot of couple of years traveling and backpacking and I didn't want to just go home where I wasn't sure what I was going to do in Alberta. And I grew up spending the summers on the West Coast, so I thought I would move here and spend some time here. There's lots of school options here. I have an aunt here. My grandparents are on the, on the island. And it would be like a good kind of stopping point where it would still feel like a bit of an adventure. But I would have lots of education and kind of career training opportunities available to me once I figured out what I wanted to do. And I was working in a pharmacy, which is what I had done my whole life. How I paid my way through university was by being a pharmacy technician. Um, So I was working in a pharmacy that was getting prescriptions from registered midwives. Hmm. And I had never heard of a registered midwife before. So I started Googling what that was. And in my research, I learned what a midwife was and also stumbled across Um, the job of the doula and there happened to be a doula training coming up so I just signed up like a weekend training I just signed up kind of on an impulse thinking like I've never heard about this before how can my like inner human biology loving feminist self not know anything about birth I'm just going to take this and see what I think and so I took it and I loved it and a person that I'm I, can't, I must have met her through my training. Um, sent me a client not long afterwards. And I attended my first birth, which was a beautiful home birth of someone having her third baby. And I just, it just became very quickly, like the most normal thing I had ever done. And I became quite quickly obsessed with it. Amazing. I So I don't know if like, you're hearing this kind of through thread through everything that you're talking about. But what's really coming to me is your sense of curiosity um, and how there was always kind of this sense within you that there was something beyond the narrative of birth that was out there that was possible that you sensed and that you sought out. Um, And, you know, even talking about working at the pharmacy and, you know, hearing about or getting these prescriptions from registered midwives and not knowing what a registered midwife was and then looking into that and then looking into doula training. It's like there's this there's this constant thread in your lead up to work the work of like following this string of curiosity. Um, and I'm wondering if there's, um, you know, because this podcast is something that is really for Kedra in terms of kind of lessons and things to share, if there's something that you would tell her about following curiosity or enjoying a sense of curiosity in life. Yeah. I mean, I guess just that not to just blindly accept things at face value, you know, just because something seems to be or always has been doesn't mean it's the only way. And finding 
fun and joy in just being curious about things you haven't heard before or concepts you're not familiar with or perspectives that you haven't considered I think just opens up whole new worlds in so many ways um, and gives us the opportunity to reflect on what you know what do you really believe and what do you really think and what really resonates with you in a way that is so much more I don't know like profound or meaningful or impactful than if we just kind of spend our whole day just doing what we're told you know absolutely and I feel like that is just such a like if there's any foundational underpinning to the trainings that you have done with literally hundreds of students around birth work I feel like that's always at the foundation is this following curiosity and asking questions and not um not blindly accepting everything that you're told all the time um and that there's there's something really healthy and vital about curiosity that really leads you into these interesting places thing useful oh <laughs> all i was gonna say is i'm really struck by an image of you sitting next to your mom in the bathtub and her telling you these stories because i feel like so many of the images I have of you in my head or of you sitting in a bathtub <laughs> either by yourself or with Kadra or like when Kadra was inside. It's true. I do spend a lot of time in the tub. <laughs> you spend a lot of time in the tub. Yep. The tub has been always like my go-to comfort spot. It's like, yeah, like, cried a lot in the bathtub in early pregnancy when I got diagnosed and I went there a lot for comfort when I was having like pregnancy cramps and I spent all of my early labor in the bathtub and a lot of my postpartum in the bathtub. <laughs> do you feel like because you're such an outdoors person and you do love being in water is the bathtub a surrogate for like open lakes and oceans or is it a total separate comfort for you? No, I think it is. It's like the warm, cozy version of the wild. <laughs> of the wild outdoor version. That's right. Just a little bit warmer and with like, you know, candles instead of starlight. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you take, I'm trying to think, how because I don't think like, even though your understanding and conception and feelings about birth are really different than the way that your mom described them. Um, how, or do you feel like those stories influence now, like your understanding of birth or the way that you talk about birth or communicate about birth? Like, was there something formative in those times that still helped to inform kind of your your knowledge and also your sharing of that knowledge. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about my mom is her, she talked about a couple of things. One, she talked about how when she was pregnant, she told her doctor she really did not want an episiotomy, even though at the time, routine episiotomies where they cut you to make the opening bigger and some 
person had an idea that that would make the birth smoother and faster. And it turns out, lo and behold, they were wrong and caused all kinds of complications. <laughs> but when my mom gave birth to us, like that was the standard was for them as the baby was being born to cut you. And she told the doctor prenatally she didn't want that. And she just knew, like, she trusted her body and she thought, you know, I'm made to stretch. And if I tear, I tear, but I'd rather just have my body do it naturally. And when she was birthing, the doctor came in and sat down and cut her, even though she had had that conversation ahead of time. And so there was that piece. And there was also, she really wanted to breastfeed us, even though, again, it was like in the 80s, formula feeding was the norm. Um, mm-hmm. She, but she really wanted to breastfeed us. So she did. However, the people around her, because it was in a very kind of formula centric era, would were always telling her she was too skinny to breastfeed and she was starving us. And, um, you know, she wasn't being responsible by breastfeeding us. And so she quit after a very short period of time. I'm not sure how long, a few months or something. And I think both of those really kind of impacted me of like, number one, you know, my mom kind of knew what was right for her, even, mm. you know, just by following her instincts and listening to what her instincts were telling her, not because she'd done a ton of research or read a lot or had particularly explored like all of her options but more just because like her instincts told her she could trust her body and her instincts told her breastfeeding was normal um and I think that piece is like a a part that I I carry with me in really trying to educate you know the clients that I've worked with the families that I've worked with and the doulas that I train that you know people can be trusted to trust themselves you know we live in this really kind of paternalistic culture where we always act like some powerful person knows better than us but that's not it's not always based on fact or truth it's based on like wielding power over people and taking their own like training people out of listening to their instincts and figuring out how to work with their own bodies in the healthiest ways for them and I think that's something that my mom kind of accidentally taught me was really important and did she ever explain to you kind of where those where she came to those kind of requests or those um decisions about her body and about breastfeeding at a time when maybe it was less common or did it it, was it really just instinctual for her it was really just instinctual for her I think like she really just talks about she's always talked about following your intuition and following your instincts and really believing that 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 can be real you know yeah it's very cool that it was an accidental lesson that got passed on to you it seems to have informed a lot um what about what about your dad does your dad like I know that sometimes parents have parents have different stories or conceptions of birth. Does your dad have any memories or stories that he shares with you about your birth or about your sister's birth? (laughs) Well, my dad, (laughs) actually, the main thing he talks about, about my birth is the placenta. Like, even my whole, (laughs) which is funny because anyone who like follows my birth work knows I am 
really passionate about the third stage or the birth of the placenta and like a not dislodging people's uteri and also really respecting the birth of the placenta but my whole life my dad always talks talked about how cool the placenta was and how it was you know it was all these different colors like it was purple and blue and red (laughs) really like he didn't which is funny because my dad is also a bit of like a in some ways like you know like the macho albertan father and you would almost you would almost expect it to be more in character for him to be talking about how gross the placenta was but he never did like he just always talked about it as this cool colorful thing that he wasn't expecting to see um wow so that part sticks out in my sister's birth when my mom was birthing my sister she went to the hospital the doctor didn't believe she was in the birth process she came and checked on her um my mom's story is that she was the doctor had been at a christmas party or a new a christmas party and came all dressed up in her fancy christmas party outfit told her she wasn't really in labor and it wasn't time for her to be there yet so the doctor left and my mom stayed in the in the birthing room Meanwhile, she's actually having a fast birth because it's her second baby and all the things. And so she told my dad to go get the doctor because the baby was coming. And my dad was like, no, no, like the doctor said, it's not time. And my mom had to be like, Daryl, like, no, the baby is coming. I think she basically gave birth to my sister's head or almost to my sister's head without anybody in the room but my dad. And then finally he ran out to get somebody and then he almost fainted and then Everyone was taking care of him and bringing him orange juice and totally ignoring my mom, which is just like the whole scene seems like out of a sitcom and so stereotypical and so kind of classic of all the things that we try not to have happen in birth. Like number one, like not dismissing the person who is birthing and treating them like they, I don't know, are an idiot number one (laughs) even if you do think it's early like just abandoning them and ignoring them is not ideal two like if there is a partner involved educating them so that they also feel confident and aren't left like not supporting the birthing person because they're following someone else's bad rules or whatever Mm -hmm. and then also like just neglecting the person having the baby because nobody I don't know it's like we treat the person having a baby like they're just an object for a baby to come out of and it's like everything except that person is what's important even though keeping that person supported and nourished and attended to in a caring and respectful way is what makes the birth healthy like just culturally it's not how we approach it oh my gosh that story about your dad fainting during your sister's birth. (laughs) (laughs) Just wild. Yeah. And the only other story actually that comes to mind about my own birth is my dad always talks about when I was being born, my grandparents came to the hospital to be in the waiting room and there was an Edmonton Oilers hockey game on. And my dad always describes my grandpa walking around the hallways of the hospital, listening to the Oilers game on his Walkman like through headphones um, while I was being born which is another very Alberta story (laughs) absolutely it's so interesting because as you're telling that story I know that you know most of a lot of your career was spent supporting home birth Mm -hmm. um, when you were attending births and um, 
you know, a lot of your students, myself included, have followed in your footsteps in that in that kind of vein. And so when you tell these stories about, you know, your grandparents walking around with a Walkman, the Walkman is very, you know, that's a dated thing. But <laughs> I'm thinking about like the the scene of like grandparents in waiting rooms and and partners outside the rooms. And I'm like, wow, that's like of a different era. But the truth is, if you find yourself in the hospital, you'll still see lots of family members in the waiting room and you might see partners. I mean, partners are usually more often in the room these days, but just uh, interesting the way that that some of those kind of um, patterns around birth kind of persist. It's true. It's kind of like, you know, we get into our own little world of home birth and physiologic birth and protecting the physiology and the humanness and the human experience of it and when you go to birth in that context it's easy to think like oh it's all changed and that's all in the past but it's kind of like the more the more things change the more things stay the same so to speak absolutely there will still be there will still be grandparents with Walkman listening to hockey games out in the waiting room. <laughs> and, you know, and similarly, there's also always been home birth. You know, sometimes I think our generation talks about home birth as if we invented it, but it's not new. And it's not like, you know, when our moms were birthing, there weren't underground midwives attending home births. It's just they weren't as pop. They weren't mainstream. And you had to, like, be connected to find one. But, you know, home birth has been a you know, number one was the only way to have a baby and has been a constant culturally, no matter the kind of medical or social context, like it's always existed. Um, And that's easy to forget too, I think sometimes. Absolutely. That this has been something that people have been doing for eons, literally. And that just, just because it's kind of entering a little bit more of a mainstream conception doesn't, doesn't erase that history. Totally. So like, you know, we have these intergenerational stories about birth, right? And they can kind of become, they can kind of become mythic, you know, like in my family, like I constantly wanted to hear the story of my birth and I wanted to hear the story of my sister's birth and family members' births and all of these things and, and these kind of intergenerational stories get passed down from generation to generation and form um, understandings and conception of birth. So if, if we were to leave Kedra with something that was kind of um, a tr- like a generational transmission of knowledge from maybe your grandmother to your mother to you and then to Kedra, what, what, would, what would be something to leave her with? You know, that's like a really, that's something, something that I've noticed in my clients is when they come from a family that had often home births or specifically home births, there is like a a confidence and a normalizing of the process and a, a connection to their bodies and the process of birthing that a lot of people in our culture don't have and I think you know wherever it came from from my mom I think somewhere deep down she did have that from you know wherever that kind of ingrained part of her being that strives to be an instinctual being on this earth 
you know, she did have that and she shoved it down to, you know, follow the rules or the, the social con, the quote, social construct of the time. Um, despite trying not to, you know, she tried to kind of do what she thought was right. And it was the, the social context that she was in was not supportive of that. And so it was difficult. Um, but I think that that piece of being like, you know, birth is normal and we're instinctual mammals and we can trust our bodies the way a mother bear trusts her body. Like we're not, we're not as exceptional as we like to think that we are. And we spend our (laughs) lifetimes trying to convince ourselves that we are. And I think the more we stop romanticizing this notion that like, technology and advancement is inherently always superior to mammalian instinct I think the further we can go in our lives and that's not to say that you don't also use technology but it's not you know it's it's not the dogma that we think that it is and we can't we can't replace our instincts with it I think that that is a perfect note to wrap up this episode on and just kind of ties a bow on all the threads that were, that were part of that story. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting with me, Talia. Talia (laughs) is a past student of mine and business partner and friend and now a co-host on my podcast (laughs) thanks Talia (laughs) congratulations on your very first episode Jess or I guess if you count all the other ones maybe the sixth (laughs) (laughs) we're starting well starting fresh starting fresh on this one starting fresh (laughs) okay thanks Talia anytime bye bye I'm Jessica and talking with me today was Talia Kleinplatz of Common Heart Photography you can find me on Instagram at Jessica Austin Childbirth, where I provide lots of free education on birth and related insights and where you can learn about my doula training and prenatal classes. If you benefit from the education I provide and wish to make a contribution to my projects for my daughter, you can find my fundraising campaign in the link in my Instagram bio. No pressure though, it's just there because folks ask for it. I'll finish with my favorite poem, The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So. Rest in the grace of the world, people, and be free. See you next time.